You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Uh, apologize if there's any any uh, audio stuff. I, I feel like I'm hearing myself a bit echoey um, in my headphones, and I couldn't tell you why, because there is nothing different right now from what I usually do, and uh, normally it doesn't sound this way, so hopefully, hopefully it doesn't sound bad uh, on the listener's end. Um, so anyway... Uh, for the first time in what feels like forever, uh, tonight it's uh, it's going to be the three of us. I am joined by Alex Rollo and Dylan Terman. Uh, as we say often, life, real life gets in the way, and we don't always get to do this. I know I can already say I won't be on next week. Uh, hopefully the guys will. So how are we doing, fellas? Dylan, how you doing? Alex, what's going on? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, we're finally all back in here. We're you know, we like to get two of us at all times. Sometimes it's only one of us, but now we got all three. So it's going to be a good discussion, and hopefully everything's good with you guys. Yeah, we got all the knights of the round table together. So, uh, yeah, all good things. And, uh, you know, we're getting a little bit closer every day, every week to uh, training camp. And, um, yeah, you know, we're we're getting closer and closer to week one. So, um, just can't wait to be there. It's going to be a little while, but uh, again, just uh, excited to continue to talk football with you guys. Yeah, that's actually something we uh, we didn't put on our topics, but we should mention that the Jets announced uh, there will be no social distancing at games this year, full capacity, tailgating, no mask requirements, no proof of vaccination requirements. So um, good news for Jets fans if you uh, for those who feel like you know those who feel they can go out in public. Um, I know there are still some people who aren't uh, who aren't there yet, but that'll be what it is. And and those who have their shot and want to go out and go to games, and and those who don't, will be free to do so. So I would expect full stadiums and uh, and a much better environment uh, for football this year. And when things do kick off, as you probably heard, um, and this is what I wanted to start the show off with did a, a brief article on it the other day and wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Um, Robert Sala, Jets head coach, uh, as minicamp wound down, you know, the Jets had a minicamp for a few days, and he met with the media. And listen, everybody knows that the biggest, the, the, the biggest gaping hole on this roster right now is at cornerback. Um, and, you know, backup quarterback too, but y- you know who your starter is. So that's not as big of a deal. Um as far as the corners go, like you feel, I feel comfortable saying Bryce Hall starting in one of those spots. And from there on, it's, it's just a toss up. We have no idea who the second corner will be. Richard Sherman's on the market. Steve Nelson's on the market. We've talked about them quite a bit. Um, so Robert Sala was asked if, if the Jets would bring in a veteran. And the thing that jumped out at me, guys, is, you know, Sala, the, the first part of Sala's answer was kind of what you would expect. Well, we have young guys here. We want to get a look at them. Okay, I get that. Coach speak, blah, 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 blah. But then he goes on and expands on that and, and talks about his time in Seattle with Pete Carroll 
where, of course, you know, they had a lot of sort of mid-late round corners and DBs who played well for them over time. And he talked about how Pete Carroll said, you know, you got to play the kids. You got to let them learn. They're fun to watch. Um, and he's, I don't know, the, the way Robert Sala was, was describing it, I was getting the feeling, and we'll, you know, when training camp rolls around, we'll see. But I was getting, well, really, week one. But I was getting the feeling, I'm like, I don't think this is coach speak. I think he believes this. I think he's ready to to say, look, this is what we got. This is what we're going to go with. And part of me is encouraged by that because, you know, it's funny because I'm always the guy. I I get flack from my buddies all the time when we, when it comes to the Jets because I'm always – I'm always looking down the depth chart. I want to see the second and third string guy get some reps when the starter isn't all that good. Um, and people give me, oh, you're always, you're always talking about the backups and the third stringers. and that. Those are the guys I want to see when the team sucks. When, when you suck, get somebody else some reps and, and let them grow. Um, but this is like to the extreme of that. This is like from day one, we're going to have starters who haven't been on the field before. Um, so it's a little bit nuts, but I kind of like it because it's like, yeah, let's see these guys develop. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Do you think Salah means it, or do you think he's, you know, it's just a sort of next-level coach speak where he knows that, you know, when the season rolls around, they're going to be looking for, for, you know, upgrades who maybe get cut, just experienced vets, or a guy like a, a Sherman or a Nelson or something along those lines? Yeah, you uh, know, Glenn, I think you had it right there. I think it's um, mainly a little bit of coach speak and, and um, we have a very, very uh, competent guy um, at our head coaching position in Sala. Um, I think he eats, eats, uh, <clears throat> breeds, and sleeps his uh, his system. And I, I think he's very confident in, in instilling, um, you know, greatness into his players. And I think, you know, all coaches should have that mindset. But that also may be a hill that he might die on later on this year <clears throat> in the event that uh, – you know, some of these young and inexperienced guys don't end up, uh, you know, holding weight. And, uh, you know, if we start seeing the back of their jerseys all too often on Sundays, you know, that's definitely going to be a problem. So um, we remember, we take notes, and we wait and we see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I'm not uh, 100% comfortable with the way this is going to roll out, but, you know, we got to believe in who we have right now. And if he's the one that is going to make this team turn it around, <clears throat> it's going to start with the defense. So we'll see what he has in store. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Before I get into my take on it, though, I have three quick yes or no questions. I was going to wait till we talked about other veteran positions, but cornerback works as well. The first one, just real quick, um, do you guys think the Jets got better overall this season from a roster standpoint? The overall roster or just a corner? Just just overall, like, as a team, did they get better? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Alex, would you agree? <laughs> yes, with a, a dash of skepticism. Uh, okay. I, I feel like would nothing you agree has been that, accomplished yet. So. Yep, go ahead. Right, right. Would you agree that every other team in the division on paper got better from a roster standpoint? Yes. Okay. Glenn? Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at draft picks and kind of project as if, if they're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, ideally, you know, very few teams don't get better. But, yes, I would say uh, collectively, yes, okay. teams could definitely got better. So, so just using those two, I was trying to just project standings 
and we assume the Bills should repeat in the in the East at least, you know, win the division. And then Miami, New England, they're probably in the middle somewhere, and then you probably have the Jets coming in fourth. And you can see a realistic path where they can come in third, but I tend to think that we're probably going to be the fourth team in the East. I know it's a little glass half empty. We're in the middle of June, and we just broke camp. I understand. But I, I just feel as though if you're not competing to actually go deep into the playoffs, maybe a veteran addition might not be the best route. And specifically to the cornerback position, I don't think this defense considers cornerback an elite need. I think Seattle and San Fran got no, – I wouldn't, I wouldn't say lucky, but I think they they were lucky in a sense to have Richard Sherman in that defense because it's somebody that's smart, that knows the defense from, like the back of his hand and will perform consistently. But outside of that, you had players like Emmanuel Mosley and like Trey Flowers or Quentin Dunbar in Seattle. So they kind of don't really have the best corner group. So I think the Jets are going to kind of – mirror that model where their pass rush is going to dictate everything. And if their front seven, particularly the front four, if they can't get after the quarterback, sure, the cornerback is going to be a glaring need. But if the front four is expected to do what we think it's going to do, I don't think average to below average cornerback play is going to be the difference in the whole season. I think the Jets can still, you know, maybe seven and 10, if they outperform eight and nine, maybe could be an expectation and that could be with just average cornerback play. So for me, I don't think the necessary need is to go out and spend money on a Richard Sherman who's probably going to want, I don't know, double-digit millions, 10, 11, 12 million on a short deal because he doesn't really want to come out on the East Coast. So it's a lot of factors. So for me, I say no personally, just rock with who you got and drag them through the mud if they need to just to – develop them along I don't think it'll end up a disaster like Lamar Jackson under Greg Williams last year but but no I I say don't don't go out and go get a veteran for a lot of money I think the the biggest caveat to that though Dylan as I said you know every team gets better but wait if you start looking at how much better um you know like the Jets the Jets team right right now who's the guy who's their best receiver for the last two years it might be fifth on the depth chart right now um, exactly. you know, the upgrades are sort of, you know, it, it, you know, there's always the big if with the draft picks, but if, if we're right. going to listen to the guys and like could underperform and they could have bad years in New yeah. England and Miami as well. So there's, there's definitely well, a, a realm of possibility and a route for them to get third and possibly even second in the East. If you know, you know, that the, the, the wind is not behind the Patriots and the Dolphins, but yeah, that's just my general thinking and, on it. And, and, and the thing, yeah, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. My, I guess my, my thing is, and this is kind of Alex kind of touched on this, is that if this team, if the front four, really front seven, but they're going to be led by that front four, if they play to their potential and they're not winning games, it's going to be on the secondary. Because this front seven, you know, we don't need to go over it again. You know, someone said to me the other day that, you know, they don't have proven linebackers. Fine. That, like, you know, not not every guy on, on every unit is going to be a superstar. But, you know, C.J. Mosley supposedly looked fantastic in camp. So you're talking about an all-pro middle linebacker. I think uh, Gerard Davis, if they're going to use him off the edge, I think he's an excellent blitzer. Uh, you know, that's not something we've heard enough of. I, I, I saw it mentioned a couple times when he was signed. But you've added an excellent blitzer. You've added Carl Lawson. You've added Rankins. Like, I, I guess what I envision um, and where it could hurt, you know, where, where fans could come away kind of, disappointed even if you have a seven or eight win season if you lose three or four games where the front seven dominates 
and and the you know the secondary just can't get the defense off the field and they're getting picked apart. Um, and that's you know that's a risk they're going to take. Listen, they're not winning the Super Bowl this year. I get that, but part of the reason I, I had the thought about you know the reason I was surprised that they're they're going with this philosophy is because what I've just mentioned. I mean, everything else they've done this offseason um, kind of is, is, to me, is Joe Douglas saying, we want to be a really good football team right now. Like, th- this, isn't, this isn't going to be right. yep. a slow and steady rebuild. You know, we're going to take a quarterback at two. We're then going to trade up and give up multiple premium picks to get the best offensive lineman in this class. We're going to pay a ton of money for a pass rusher in, in Carl Lawson. We're going to, you know, we're going to bring in Sheldon Rankins. We're going to bring in, uh, you know, Corey Davis on the outside and draft an ex- like everything about the way they're operating is like they want to they want to be as good as they can and compete for a playoff spot as quickly as possible. And it's the corner situation that makes me say that's the one spot where you look and go, OK, what are we doing here? Like if we've made all these steps to increase to increase the talent across the board. Um, but we'll see, because, again, you make a good point, Dylan. Um, if these if these defensive linemen and some of the linebackers play to their full potential, then you're not going to need elite corners. And that, it could come down to that. If Jeff Ulbrich and, and, and Robert Sala are sitting down and looking at this group and saying, look, we're, quarterbacks are going to be running for their lives against us. They're not going to have a lot of time to throw. They've, you know, the ball is going to have to come out quickly, so our corners aren't going to have to cover for three, four, five, six seconds. And that could be the philosophy. And I love that. If, if you get that yeah. to work, fantastic. You've then taken, as you said, an elite position and, and made it a little bit less meaningful to where you don't need a 9, 10, 11, 12 million dollar a year guy. You just need an adequate corner. Um, and I, I said that a couple times during the Rex years when things weren't going well and you just felt like, you know, you know post Revis, you just felt like, man, if they could just get decent corner play, this would be a really good defense. But they weren't getting, you know, like Darren Walls was their first top corner. You know, that just wasn't the case. So uh, it was just, like I said, interesting comments from Salah. Um, I've, as I said, I'm always the guy saying, let's see the young guys. Let's see the young guys. Um, but this, this one surprised me a little. I don't, the, Jets, the Jets have 11 cornerbacks on their roster right now. And they have combined to start 33 NFL games. Bless Austin has started more than anyone with 16 and I don't think he's a lock to make the roster this year. I mean, I think he's a guy who has struggled. God, I looked at his PFF numbers the other day. He's like the 88th ranked cornerback, uh, which is which is really bizarre to me. Well, so, uh, it's you know, and his coverage grade was was atrocious. And I mean, I've kind of said on film that you know, from watching the film, that I thought he was a disappointment. And then you look at the PFF numbers, and he was he was even worse than that. So, it, like I said, just interesting comments from Salah that made me wonder, you know, are they really going to stick with these young guys? And if they do, and it works out, more power to them. But if they, you know, if they go out and surprise people and they win eight games and you think, damn, ten wins would have got us in the playoffs and we had those we had those four or five games where the DBs just didn't show up and we couldn't hang. So uh, that, that can get interesting. And, you know, we'll see as the season goes on. And, and, you know, they could sign a guy two days before camp and it all kind of becomes a moot point. But um, – and- you know what mm-hmm. that reminds me of? I'll be real quick here. Um, sure, go ahead, Alex. I was listening to um, a podcast about a year or two ago, and, and it was a mixer between a Carolina Panthers beat reporter coming on to a Jets podcast. I think that they were playing a game against each other, so they were doing a mix-up. And they talked about the strategy of being more 
of a zone style defense. And when you, when you have that as majority of your play calling, um, you have to have different types of personnel in order to execute that. You can really have a solid defense if you're strong with your, you know, at the line of scrimmage and you can have less talented players on the back end, but if the zone works and everybody's on the same page, it almost elevates the players that are mediocre to maybe above average on certain plays. And if you kind of look back through their years of Ron Rivera, yeah, it's up and down and up and down. And, you know, obviously they won and lost by the health of of Cam Newton, but defensively you could see that their strength was that they always had really good pass rushers, you know, Greg Hardy and, um, I think there was a guy named Juan Short and then obviously Luke Keekley, you know, so if we were looking at our roster and looking at the players that we have on our ends, and then we're looking at Mosley as our number one guy in the middle, and then you look at May being the leader in the back end, maybe with that strength up the middle and having somebody like May giving you, you know, sideline to sideline coverage, you, like you guys said, we may not have to shell out big, big money to, um, you know, just a name or, or a veteran that, um, you know, will sell jerseys more or less rather than, you know, play like they were in their prime. So that's the difference between when you're, you know, looking at man-style defense where if you're doing a lot of man coverage, you really do want good lockdown corners where you can mask, you know, the elite talent level with, with better zone coverage and calling. So I think that's kind of maybe what Salah is going to try to do is, is use his system to elevate players rather than using players to elevate his system. And yeah, you mentioned Marcus May, Alex. Yeah, you, you mentioned Marcus May, Alex, um, and I wanted to touch on him a little bit as well as Jamison Crowder, both in contract situations, both very different contract situations. Um, Marcus May, and I tweeted this out a while ago, I, I can't remember. Honestly, this is something I've, I've touched on a couple times through Twitter, and I, I can't remember how extensively we have got into it on the show. Uh, but the Jets post-draft said, you know, Joe Douglas uh, made a comment. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but something along the lines that now with the draft behind us, we can really focus on the Marcus May contract. That was over 50 days ago, and Marcus May still isn't signed. He didn't talk to the media uh, during, during minicamp, which is not very characteristic of him. I believe it was Rich Samini said he'll, uh, he'll get fined for that. So Marcus May is willing to get fined to avoid talking about his contract status. 50 days ago, Joe Douglas, who has about $30 million bucks at his disposal, um, and as I, I mentioned on the show previously, the, the safety market is what it is. It's You know what guys – this isn't the offseason where you're waiting for the market to set itself and wait for a couple of big names to sign and get an idea. You know what the top guys make. You know what the bottom guys make. You know what the middle guys make. You know – if you're Joe Douglas, you know what you think of Marcus May. You're going to make an offer based on that. And 50 days later, Marcus May still doesn't have a deal. So my feeling on this is that the Jets are going to make an offer that they believe is fair, and they're not moving off of it. It's not a premium position. He's a very good player, but he is not a superstar. And May is either going to have to take less than he wants, or he's going to walk in free agency, and, and, and that'll be that. Um, if it were otherwise, I think a deal is done already. It doesn't take, it, you know, it's, it, it, people always say this is a priority, that's a priority. Actions speak louder than words. If getting Marcus May signed was a priority, it would have been done. You've got the money, you know the market, it's still not done. And I, I think he walks at the end of this season. I don't think he gets tagged again. 
And then, of course, there's the Jamison Crowder situation, which will tie into that because it's another contract um, situation. He was due $10 million, zero guaranteed money. The Jets came to him and said, basically, uh, we're going to cut you unless you take like a $5, 6000000 million pay cut. You're not going to get $10 million anywhere else. Uh, and Crowder agreed to the cut. I'm a little surprised because I'm thinking if I was Crowder, maybe you're upset. Maybe you say, well, I'm not going to get 10 somewhere else, but I could get four or five, and you're only offering me four or five. Um, so I thought he might say, all right, let me go. Let me shop and go to a contender and, and get my four or five million somewhere else. But what are your thoughts? Uh, we'll start with you, Alex, your thoughts on both those guys situations. Are the jets genuinely interested in bringing Marcus May back? And, uh, what were your thoughts on the way the Jamison Crowder stuff went down? Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, when you'd mentioned that I decided to take a look at, um, the average, uh, safety salary that in the league right now. And surprisingly, there's only 11 safeties, including Marcus May, that are making more than $10 million this season. Um, the highest is Justin Simmons from Denver. It's making $15 million. Um, then you have Buda Baker at 14, Eddie Jackson at $14 million, Kevin Bard at 14, and Landon Collins, and Tyron Matthew at $14 million. So you only have six top safeties in the league that are making more than $14 million. Um, so, you know, I, I, when you look at this and you have to start, you know, defining, you know, what does each of these guys bring to the table? What do they do statistically? And, you know, Marcus May, fan favorite, of course, um, you know, has not clearly done some of the things that uh, of the players that I have mentioned. Uh, so, you know, is Marcus May looking for like a $15 million contract? You know, in my mind, I don't think he, he warrants that right now. I think $10 million is is definitely more than generous, and if they were to extend him, you know, that would probably be the range in which I would be comfortable on a year per basis. Um, you know, kind of some of the things that I just mentioned, you know, um, depending on the type of scheme that you have, you know, you don't need to have, you know, all pro-style players, you know, in, in particular positions if, the, if everything comes together. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do find it interesting how he's in the top one-third of the league as far as free safeties are concerned um, in, in, you know, financial means, uh, and yet he wants more. So um, I get it. This is a game that's a rigorous sport. It beats on your body. So, you know, that's why these guys try to get their money as quickly as they possibly can. You know, that was Jamal's uh, agenda, and we can see how that kind of backfired on him. But, uh, you know, these guys have a, a short window in which they can make their money. So I, I don't knock Marcus May for trying to get as much as he possibly can while he's still relatively in his prime. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, we, we shouldn't be making it about an individual when it's a team sport. So I'm hoping that they do come to some, point of, some type of, you know, agreement that, that works for both parties. Um, you know, and and the way Joe, Joe Douglas has, you know, maneuvered these contracts seems to be pretty lucrative and in favor of us for the, you know, the front office and the salary cap. So um, it would be a win-win. Um, I think if we get Marcus May long-term, uh, at the end of the day, he is still getting paid very good money um, for his particular position. And it's interesting because ever since Jamal left, all we hear from our side of the fan base is that, you know, safety is just not an important position anymore. Um, and it's very replaceable is, is just the narrative that I continue to keep hearing. So it, it's quite interesting how, you know, things turn like that. 
So uh, if Marcus May does get a deal, I'll be very happy for him. If the Jets hold strong and they say, look, you know, let's talk midseason or let's talk near the end of the year, I understand that completely. Um, so, you know, I hope that they come to some sort of comfortable agreement. Um, and then moving to the Jamison Crowder uh, situation here, um, last week, you know, I had thought that they were going to just restructure it to where he would get more bonus money and still make similar to the amount of money that he was going to be making, which was, I think, near 9 or $10 million. So due to the fact that they've cut that in half, and now he's pretty much guaranteed, I think, all of his contract, which is around $5 million. So it does make sense because if you look at the receivers that are making double-digit money, uh, Jamison Crowder does not belong in that group or in that conversation. Uh, you're talking about a receiver that is one of our shorthanded guys. He's a very good, reliable uh, receiver. I'm not trying to downplay his talent, but from a production standpoint, uh, we shouldn't be paying $10 million a year for a receiver that's never had more than 850 yards or more than six touchdowns in a season. And yes, he's been moderately healthy for us, but in years past, he has missed some games. So I don't think he warranted a $10 million contract. I think the Jets would have been had done the right thing if they had decided to part ways with him. But the fact that they were able to um, make a deal and, and keep him in, in house, I think that really speaks volumes about, you know, Robert Sala, this new front office and regime that we have in here. The fact that he was willing to make uh, a home discount for us to stay with us. I think that says a lot about his character and that says a lot about the new makeover that the Jets are trying to do with, with their in-house right now. Um, And then, you know, to play devil's advocate here, he might have realized, you know, with the way that certain contracts have been laid out this year and that there are still a lot of big names out there that haven't been signed, maybe he wasn't going to do better than $5 million if if they did decide to let him go. Um, So better to, you know, the devil you know than the one that you don't, I guess. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's still here. But I'm also curious that, you know, maybe he wasn't going to get anything near $5 million if he were to, you know, be a free agent, get cut, and then test the market. So maybe he did the right thing, you know, that works for him and his family. And I think it works out great for the Jets at the end of the day. Yeah, so starting off with, uh, with Marcus May, I did the exact same thing as Alex. As soon as you mentioned his name, I immediately went to spot rack and checked his average uh, – salary compared to all the other safeties and he's at ninth uh overall right now and you look at some of the guys that are underneath him i don't have to go through the names but one the one directly below him is harrison smith and he's arguably one of the best safeties in the nfl currently for the minnesota vikings so it's tough when that guy's getting paid less than you and he's probably outperforming you on a week-to-week basis as well and then I went over to overthecap.com and I just checked what the projected franchise tag was going to be for next year. And the safety position is $13.553 million. So that's a big jump from 10.6, which he's making this year. But at the same time, I believe the second franchise tag, if they were to go that route, um, I believe it's top five annual salary, or the average of the top five, or 125% of last year's salary, and it's whichever is higher. So Alex said, top five, they're all making $14 million or above that. So you have to think Marcus May is going to be coming in at that low 14, mid-14 million range. And 
I don't necessarily think that that's worth it to pay a single player when you're in this stage of the game for the Jets. And they have till July 15th, so three more weeks, to negotiate a long-term deal. And at this point, I don't really see them coming to an agreement. And I think the worst part about it for Marcus May especially is that he hasn't been able to get on the field in this system and show what he can do live and, like, you know, make up for what they think he is worth and then what he thinks he's worth, you know, meet somewhere in the middle there. But knowing that you can't see any game reps of him in this cover three defense and you don't know exactly what you're getting, I understand why the Jets are apprehensive. Me, personally, I don't know. It's a lot to pay one person $14 million especially at the safety position. It's really not a premium position when you just look at the the cost of the franchise tag. It's the fourth lowest and running back and tight end and special teams are the only three underneath it. So you can argue their value. I think they are important in this defense, but I think LaMarcus Joyner and depending on what Ashton Davis does this year can mitigate, you know, that cost compared to production. And then as far as Jamison Crowder goes, I mean, it's great that he was willing to take a pay cut there were rumors that his salary or his, you know, his contract with a new team, if he were to, you know, not take a pay cut with the Jets, was only going to be in the 3 to $4 million range. So I think it was wise of him from a financial standpoint to stay with the Jets because I think they were ready to not go that far down. They wanted to keep him in this range, which is on par with uh, what Keelan Cole got in free agency last, last uh, March. So I think that makes more sense. And then from just the depth chart of the wide receivers, like you said, he could be the fifth best wide receiver on the roster after being the best one for the past two years. So it's all just up in the air from the wide receiver position. So I think it was in both parties' best interest for him to come back on a reduced deal. And like he said, he's always trying to put stuff on tape, whether it's for his current team or for, you know, the 31 other teams that might be looking to sign him. So I think he'll he'll bounce back, and regardless, he'll probably get a fairly good deal in free agency next year, especially if he – proves he can be consistent and durable. So I like the move that they made. Don't pay May, you know, keep Crowder. And if you find, you know, gold in the wide receiver position midway through the year, you can explore a trade. That's also a possibility. Yeah, I think the uh, – in defense of Crowder and his production, um, he had, you know, I mean, everything was a train wreck last year. But when the targets were there, the production was there. Uh, if you look at his numbers, the first, his first four games of the season, he was just under 100 yards a game. Um, and then missed a couple yep. weeks. And then once he came back, he didn't see double-digit targets again for the rest of the year. So, in you know, for him, games one, two, three, and four, he saw 13, 10, 10, and 13 targets respectively, um, had 115, 104, 116, and 48 yards respectively. And then from that point on, two targets, four targets, five targets, seven targets, four targets, um, saw eight and nine in, in the uh, in weeks 15 and 16 and put up another 150 plus yards with a touchdown. So when the targets were there, he's produced and he's produced at a very high level. Um, but again, I, th- that was the only thing I didn't like about it. I understand the business side of things. I didn't, I don't like when you take, you know, especially when your team is, is a laughing stock and the worst team in the NFL by a, by a wide margin. And you have guys who still go out there and bust their asses and produce and you have a ton of cap space like as a goodwill gesture, like the, the Jets are projected, projected to have over 70 million in cap space next year. Like, don't talk to me about, we need that 3 million. Um, I would just let the right. guy play on the deal. Um, and especially to do, and I understand teams want leverage and this is what they do. So they wait, they wait till a point where there's, 
no cap space out there. Like any team that might want to pay him six, seven million, which maybe probably wouldn't go that high. But there's a lot of teams that can't afford to, to spend an extra four or five million on a guy. So the Jets basically say, hey, we're going to wait till there's no job opportunities left for you. Um, and then we're going to ask you to take a 50, 60 percent pay cut. So didn't love it, but I get that it's a business. Um, and Crowder, you know, really good player. And I think, uh, you know, I think at his next stop, you know, he's a guy that probably gets traded at some point during the season. Um, if he can bring anything back, uh, you know, with, I don't know what you can expect to get from at this point. But um, moving on to our next topic, uh, you know, having said Crowder's a guy who could get cut, or I'm sorry, who, as a guy who could get traded, just looking at the roster, um, and, you know, it might be one guy, might be two guys, might be ten guys. Are, are there any players that jump out to you um, who you look at and say, you know, I think most people expect that guy to make the roster, but I don't see it happening. Um, or you think there's a better chance than average that a player will get cut who a lot of people are looking at as kind of locks or just guys that they feel comfortable will make the roster. Um, we'll start with you this time, Dylan. Yeah. So this one was a little bit tough, obviously just given the point of the off season that we're at, but you look at some of these players and you just, you have to go to where the depth is the most and for me, I went to cornerback and wide receiver and tight end. I think most likely one of the Smith brothers is going to get cut, whether it's Vincent or uh, Jeff Smith. And I know they've been on the team for a long time, um, but I think most likely Jeff Smith is due to get cut really for reasons just due to the fact that they have a really strong five, if not six, if Braxton Berrios continues to gain this chemistry with Zach Wilson and you just you you have to think how many are they going to carry in this offense maybe seven at the most so that leaves only one spot left and if I had to guess it'd probably be Vincent Smith right now but so you know Jeff Smith's the first one I thought of and then I looked at the tight ends and if Yeboa makes the team he hasn't really gotten a ton of reps in camp I could see a, a scenario where Daniel Brown is cut I haven't really been the biggest advocate for keeping him on the roster I'm pretty sure they brought him back on like a minimal one or $2 million deal in the off season. So he's expendable. And then the third player, I looked at the cornerback and I know there's no experience there. We talked about it. So maybe cutting the person that has the most starts out of all of the cornerbacks in the group, bless Austin is not the smartest choice, but I think that there's a fairly significant chance that some of these young guys and not just one, I think some of these young guys like Isaiah Dunn, Pinnock, Jackson, Eccles, MC2, I think most of these guys can pass Bless Austin on the on the depth chart. So I think Bless Austin could be a surprise cut uh, maybe later on in August, like the last week of camp, you know, one of those final cuts, but one that makes you really think like, wow, we didn't have depth before and now we just cut Austin. So, yeah, he would be my third guy. What do you got, Alex? Yeah, <clears throat> I only had a couple guys that came to mind that, you know, maybe one was forgotten due to injury last year. And I think the other one might have played his way, you know, out of a, a, a starting position here, unless if he has a really super duper camp. Uh, so th- my number one cut or, you know, my assumed cut will probably be Nate Shepard. I just think that there's so many bodies in this rotation for the defensive line that I just kind of feel like he's the odd man out. Um, I think this is, might be year four for him going into his rookie deal. So maybe that's the only thing that, that keeps him, you know, on the roster. But uh, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if Nate Shepard ends up, you know, um, 
trying to find a new home before the season kicks off. Um, and then the other big surprise one is, is what I mentioned, you know, maybe due to injury because he was kind of forgotten in a, in a abysmal season, uh, Kyle Phillips. Uh, if, you, if you think about, you know, the players that, you know, we're anticipating to crack the starting four, you know, and, you know, we're assuming everyone's going to be healthy. Obviously, Carl Lawson's going to be there, Quinn and Williams. And then you have, you know, two vets in Vinny Curry and Sheldon Rankins, who I think either one could possibly be deserving of a starting position in this front four. And I don't even know how this is all going to play out because a lot of these guys are very interchangeable with what they can do. And then, you know, we have Fuller Runzo Fadokasi, who, who I, you know, truly feel deserves a, one of the, the spots at defensive tackle. But, again, with, with a Rankins and a Curry coming into the mix, you know, it'll probably be more of a rotation. And I also feel that John Franklin Myers played well enough, um, you know, in certain times last year to where he could be deserving of one of the, the opposite defensive end position. So, you know, is Quinnen going to be inside? Is he going to be outside? Will Quinnen be next to Lawson the majority of the times just to strengthen that aspect? And, and when you think of all the different combinations um, that you can run with here, and, and, you know, I'm not even mentioning players like, you know, Bryce Huff, who can, can stick his hand in the dirt as well. Um, but maybe he'll be more of a, a linebacker in, in, in this defense. You know, this is all going to play out, I hope, hopefully soon for us to see. So, yeah, you know, Nate Shepard and, and Kyle Phillips right now is I kind of have them on the cusp in this rotation right here. And if I say if I had to keep one right now today, I would definitely keep Kyle Phillips over Nate Shepard. But, yeah, those are my, would be my two surprise cuts. Yeah, I would be I would be really worried about, you know, assuming everyone's healthy, I'd be really worried about Joe Douglas's thought process if he keeps a, a dinosaur like Vinnie Curry um over Phillips who has mm-hmm. been, you know, a really good player when he's been on the yep. field. I've I've sent out a couple tweets about him. You look at his his tackles for loss based on his number of snaps played is sort of off the charts. Um he's just a guy who makes plays, he's a young dude. Whereas Curry, you know, I I went back and watched him after the Jets sign. I'm look, he's an old guy. He's had like he's had one big season. Um, he's a steady player. I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm just saying he's he's a guy who's you know what 32, 33 years old, um, and hasn't been the same guy he was a few years ago. If you keep him around, um, I, I'd be I'd be that'd be pretty disappointing uh, development for me personally. Um, but as far as guys can get cut, you guys mentioned Bless Austin. Um, wholly agree there. I think. I've seen a surprising number of fans who are like, of course he's starting. What are you, crazy? I'm like, what are you, what are you watching? You think this guy is, is the real leader? Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, um, injuries, of course. Um, I'd love to see him make it, but I think if Blake Cashman gets hurt again, he's gone. You can't keep a guy around who gets hurt every single year. It's just not feasible. Yeah. Uh, probably one, a guy who I said last year I thought might get cut, um, and it was only because there were sort of whispers – um, about just not having the work ethic to improve. Uh, Chuma Adoga, um, if he if he comes into camp this year and 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 isn't more consistent when he when he gets time on the field, they, this regime didn't draft this guy, and this regime isn't about to put offensive linemen out there who aren't going all out um, to protect protect the young quarterback. Um, I was watching some film the other day and I saw one play from Adoga where he he just got smoked. I mean he he. The the defensive end took one, took a you know quarter of a step to the outside, 
Adoga completely bought it and went all the way outside, and the dude just shot right through the gap and got to the quarterback. And I thought, Jesus, that's you know, the, this is a guy who's you know, he's year two now. You know, those, those types of mistakes, you can't be doing that. So Adoga's a guy who I thought might get dumped last year um, because, there again, the whispers about the work ethic I thought might be an issue. Ryan Griffin's another one. Um, not You're not saving a ton of money, but they've brought in, you know, there, there's quite a few tight ends in camp now, and if he's not uh, if he's not a better player than he was last year, um, again, terrible situation, but he still was just invisible. Um I think he's a, a possible guy who could be shown the door. So, um, you know, just a few names to throw out there, and we'll see as as this stuff, uh, you know, moves along and the, the whole process. But uh, the next thing I wanted to touch on, guys, um, as I said earlier, I mentioned the Robert Salas comments on corner, and, of course, the, the next biggest hole on the roster is backup quarterback. Um, you've only got a couple – you've got – no one on the Jets roster has thrown a pass in the NFL, um, which is kind of crazy. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Uh, you got Morgan and White, James Morgan and Mike White behind Zach Wilson. Um, but unlike the Adam Gase era, you now have an offensive coordinator, a quarterback's coach in the room with the QB. Um, do you need that veteran backup as much when you have a QB coach? And do you, is it a good idea to say, you know what, we don't want too many people in this kid's ear. Like, we want the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach working with this kid exclusively, and, you know, we're going to develop him that way versus having three voices, you know, three, three different people, three different opinions coming at him. Um, do you think the team would be better off if they added a veteran to go along with them? Like, again, I, I've mentioned Josh McCown a couple times. I know he's a million years old. There was a report he was working for the Texans. The last couple of times I Googled him, it says nothing about the Texans. It's just Josh McCown, you know, free agent quarterback. Um, I just think of how Sam Darnold, you know, never looked better than he did when he had Josh McCown in his ear. And once McCown left, there was nobody, you know, Darnold was just on his own. Um, I, I wouldn't hate the idea, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised the Jets haven't brought a veteran in, and I don't think they're going to. Um, and really, how many veterans are out there at this point that you could bring in? So do you think it's a good idea to just say, you know what, it's going to be coordinator and QB coach only? Or uh, or should there be a veteran voice in the room for him to learn from? Uh, what are your thoughts, Alex? Yeah, well, you know, I'm looking at the the very, very short list of what's available in the market. And one of them I know is not available anymore, which was Alex Smith. That was somebody that I think I talked about a few months ago saying I wouldn't even mind if you were to come in and, and help groom the young quarterback because what a great mind, what a great leader to, to learn from. But it looks like Alex is hanging it up, so good for him. Um, you know, jokingly, I know Dylan was was saying prepare for Nick Mullins. He's still out there, um, and he would have the most experience out <laughs> of all these guys in our room. So, you know, can't play that one out. But, um you brought you brought up the, the best point of this whole discussion, and, and that's why I feel that they do need to do something and have some sort of viable plan, you know, in the event that there is any sort of setback, you know, knock on wood that there isn't. Um, but, yes, it does concern me um, that we don't have any experience in, in this quarterback room. And, you know, we're, you know, you would ask the question, you know, do we need the veteranship when we have, um, you know, good personnel in the ear of our young quarterbacks. And and yes and no, 
um, to be a flip-flopper here. And the reason being is that you can coach, you can try to implement, and you can have them study certain things, but you, you can't put experience into a guy. Um, he's going to have to take his licks when he goes out there. He's going to, the speed is going to be different. And, you know, there's a lot that that's going to unfold very quickly um, for, for our young quarterbacks here. And I would feel a little bit better having somebody that has, you know, had some experience under their, you know, uh, to bring to the table, you know, for any sort of questions that, that Zach Wilson might have, you know, when you're going up against this style team, you know, what, where were you attacking, you know, the, these aspects of the defense, things like that, you know, that's stuff that, that you may not be able to get, um, you know, from anyone else except for someone that's been out there and done it. And, um, you know, there's a name out there that, you know, maybe you love him, maybe you don't, maybe you're saying no way, no how. But uh, I'm curious on how Jameis Winston still doesn't have a job. Um, 27 years old, I understand that, you know, the guy is all or nothing, can throw 40 touchdowns in a season and match that with, you know, 39 interceptions. I, I get that. Um, but he's had a couple of years to sit back and hold the clipboard and learn and become a student of the game again. Who's to say that he doesn't have something, you know, to bring to the table? Um, and in the event that something does happen, I would feel more comfortable with a James Winston coming in rather than a Nick Mullins or James Morgan. No disrespect to those guys, but, you know, that's just where my comfort zone lands. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just – I didn't want to cut you off there, but I think James did sign with the Saints. He's – I don't know if he's going to be their starter or not, but I believe signed back with the Saints on a small one-year deal. Uh, oh, maybe, right. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. It does say TBD on the website, but I, I don't know. I feel like every time I hear the Saints, all I hear about is Jameis Winston. So you could be correct in that. In that, so I'm sorry if I if I am wrong. Um, they might have given but, that guy Taysom Hill or whomever that quarterback tight end, right, running right. back, fullback dude. They I heard they paid him pretty well, and it almost seems like oh, he's, yeah, he's he, going to get the job. But you could be right. That's something that you know I might have to get fact checked mm-hmm. on. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as veteran quarterback. For me, the short answer is no. Just looking at the, the the names available, like Alex just mentioned, I see Robert Griffin III. He was probably the only quarterback on this list that had some experience in this Shanahan slash Lafleur system when he was in Washington his rookie year. So you know right. maybe him, but how how confident are you in him actually taking any snaps for this team? Um, so I would say no. I also think the the cap space part of it too i know we have a ton of it to spend but there's no need to go spending you know upwards of eight ten million again on another backup if that's what it takes i know it might not take that much but just let zach wilson handle it i know it's kind of a lot to put on a rookie's shoulders um but i think he can handle it maybe you know he misses a game or two here and there because he's dinged up and you know you're not expected to win those games with a james morgan or a mike white but how realistic is it that uh, a backup is going to win you that game anyway? So for me, I, I would have to say no, because I also look at LaFleur. I look at Rob Calabrese, the pass game specialist, and Greg Knapp, who are the three closest members of this staff that are going to be in Zach's ear, not on a play-to-play basis, but when he comes off the field every drive, I would be fairly certain that those three will be the closest to him every time talking to him. And I think that the quality of those three people in his ear is, is going to go a lot further than what we saw happen with Sam Darnold 
and Gase and Doa Loggins. Those were the only two guys that really got to talk to Sam. He was the OC and the quarterback's coach, and, you know, Gase was everything that had to do with the quarterback. So we saw it fail in terms of less is more, but I think with these three in particular, these three are quality when it comes to the less is more. And Rob Calabrese, it's funny, they, he worked in Denver the past two years, and last year when Denver got hit with COVID in their quarterback room, the Broncos actually reached out to the league and they asked if they could start Rob Calabrese and suit him up as a, a player coach. And the league told him no, so they had to opt for Kendall Hinton, their practice squad receiver, uh, who, who actually is, you know, turning heads in camp this year, according to Jerry Judy. But so Rob Calabrese, you know, he's not the worst guy to have. He's young. He's only got two years experience in the league, those two years with Denver. But I think going out and getting a veteran is not, not the best course of action. And then if you really want to go big brain thinking on this one, Let's, let's go down the dark route. I already said it earlier with the glasses half empty. I might as well continue. If Zach Wilson were to get hurt, the season is lost. Let's just be honest. So what happened in San Francisco a couple years ago? San Francisco was really bad. They got to coach the Senior Bowl. And then a couple months later, they were playing in a Super Bowl. So the Jets could realistically get a chance to coach the Senior Bowl if you know, they have a terrible record and they're picking top six, seven, eight in the league. You know, the, the, the teams ahead of them pick new coaches and they can't, they're not eligible for the senior bowl. That would put the Jets right in line, similar with how, like, I don't know, Carolina was last year. They picked eighth in the draft. They coached the senior bowl and they got right up and close and personal with all of these prospects. And I think coming out of a COVID year like this, going into a 2022 draft season where we have another double digit uh, pick selection year, let's get right there at the senior bowl in mobile and really coach these players up and see what they're made of. So that would be my big brain thinking. I know it's a long way off. We're only in June and I'm thinking about February, but here we are. It's the off season. And these are my thoughts. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, good stuff. And it's, again, it's, it's a decision, the decision the jets are going to have to make. Um, and as you said, Dylan, if, if Zach Wilson gets hurt, the, the season's done. Uh, I've, as somebody, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. biased here. I don't know if this is a few years back now. Um, I was a big Mike White guy when he was coming out of Western Kentucky. I thought he was going to be a really good player. Um, and, you know, if, if he develops into a quality backup, that would be fantastic. Uh, James Morgan, I, you know, as I said, when, they, uh, when the new staff came on board, I don't know how well suited he is for this offense. I guess uh, we'll find out. We'll see if he hangs around. I think that, you know, he will have the upper hand, of course, because he was the draft pick. And, uh, and draft picks stick. You know, you, you rarely, rarely see even John Idzik only had one of his draft picks get cut straight away um, when, uh, when Jalen Saunders was let go a couple months into the season. But when, when you draft guys, they tend to hang around. They tend to make rosters at the very worst practice squads, um, which I meant to mention earlier with the corner discussion. Because, Dylan, you mentioned all the guys that could pass Bless Austin on the depth chart. And uh, I think that, that that's valid because even, even Isaiah Dunn, who wasn't drafted, the fact that he got the bonus he got, it's, you know, the bonus he got is obviously, you know, a drop in the water when you consider NFL salaries and, and things like that. But the fact that he got that much kind of tells the, the viewing public that the Jets think very highly of this guy. Um, so if you love that guy and you drafted three other guys, these are guys you're probably going to try to hang on to. Um, GMs don't like even you know your sixth, seventh rounders. Those guys tend tend to stick or to to make a practice squad. 
So um, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, the, the, the thing I wanted to touch on next is another guy that this team did not draft um, and who, who appears to be in a little bit of trouble uh, in terms of the depth chart, uh, which I find to be appalling and offensive because he's going to be the best tight end on the roster mm-hmm. this season. Uh, one Chris Herndon, a guy who I have not bailed on. I am, I am shocked at how many people are, have, like, complete, like, this guy's got the plague. People talking about Chris Herndon like he's never caught an NFL pass. Uh, the guy had a, an atrocious first half last year. Um, was converted to blocking tight end by Adam Gase early on. It was like, oh, all the drops, he had no choice. But, like, week two, Herndon was blocking, like, 70% of the time. So Adam Gase took uh, the best receiving tight end on his roster, made him a blocking tight end, um, and when the few opportunities came, Herndon did not deliver. Herndon was atrocious. He had fumbles. He had drops. It was embarrassing. Even I got to the point. Um, funny enough, and this is, here's, here's a, this is how big of a jinx I am. Um, all year, I'm like, stick with Herndon. Stick with Herndon. I'm getting killed on Twitter. You're an idiot. This guy sucks. Cut up. I'm like, stick with Herndon. Stick with Herndon. <clears throat> And I'm, so all year, up until the Chargers game, I'm stick with him, stick with him, stick with him. He drops the first ball, the first pass that comes to him in that San Diego game, and I tweeted out something like, you know, I didn't want the guy gone, but I was like, I, I tweeted something along the lines, it might be time to send Chris Herndon home for the season and let him come back with a clean slate next year. You know, fake an injury, whatever. You put him on the whatever, whatever list and just send him home, blah, blah, blah. So I said that after his first drop against San Diego. Chris Herndon did not drop another pass the rest of the season. That was his last drop of the year. Caught every, had 17 targets, well, 17 catchable targets after that. Caught all 17, three touchdowns, I believe. Um, and so as he heated up and started catching everything that came his way, he still, because, again, uh, the number of times, I'm tired of saying what an idiot Adam Gase was. And maybe this was Sam Darnold, too. Maybe Gase had some plays dialed up for Herndon. But Herndon just d- didn't see the targets. I think week 16 or 17, he saw seven targets. But other than that, um, no drops. I-, I went back and watched every target. And uh, actually, I think I, I think I put a, a video together and put it into an article. But yeah, so uh, over, the, over from, I think that was week nine, San Diego. So after that first drop to start the San Diego game, no drops the rest of the year. And some impressive catches. Leaping catches and double coverage for a touchdown against New England. Um, the, 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 the first catch in that San Diego game where he was kind of leaping, falling backward. So these weren't routine, wide-open, easy catches. He was making some nice plays that a lot of people, I think because the team was so bad, they just kind of stopped watching or they just weren't paying close enough attention to realize, oh, Chris Herndon's a different player now than he was in the first half of the year. Um, but Tyler Croft, the more I watch of him, the more I, I tweeted out the other day, like, don't sleep on this guy. Um, and I, I did an article a couple of weeks ago saying that uh, I think he sticks. Uh, you know, a lot of look, people look at him, you know, he's never been a productive guy. He's had one good year. But, again, he's one of those guys. Did he not have the opportunities? Because he looked pretty damn good in Cincinnati when he got the chance. So, to me, what I like is that Herndon and Croft are similar kind of guys. They can both block. Neither one of them has to come off the field if you need them to block for you. And they both, you know, again, min- minus that bad half season that Herndon had, you go back to his rookie year, he looked fantastic. He looked very good the second half this year. He's done a lot of good things. I think the Jets could have a really nice one-two punch at tight end. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Dylan. Yeah, we just uh, talked last segment about not having a quality backup at the quarterback position, and now we're here talking about Chris Herndon, who is a quality backup currently. 
<clears throat> I think, I mean, I like Chris Herndon. I'm not going to, you know, you know, throw him away just yet. I think it's year four. He's going to have a new quarterback, a better quarterback. We'll see what he can do. But I really like what Tyler Croft can bring to this team. I think Croft will easily be the most used tight end in the, in the group throughout the season, at least to begin the first few weeks until, you know, Herndon, you know, he'll have a chance to come on and take over the role and maybe he emerges, maybe he doesn't. But I don't think it should be assumed that Herndon, you know, is going to be a two, you know, tight end two to start the season. I think it's really an open competition. But to me, Croft just brings a little bit more consistency in his blocking and as a pass catcher. You know, we've seen Herndon, what he can do. He's flashed his rookie year in the end of last year, like you were just saying. But I say, hey, throw them both out there in like 22 personnel, you know, 12 personnel. You could have a running back and Trevon Wesco in the backfield, and then you have Croft and Herndon. And I think you could be dangerous in terms of versatility because you don't know who's going to be the blocker and who's going to be the guy, you know, going out on the route. And you could have like, you know, the popular play now in offenses is the tight end leak where he fakes the block and goes out. And I think both of those guys can do that really well. So I think it's, it's going to be a, a battle to watch in preseason. And I think it's going to go a long way to determine if Herndon stays or goes for the long term. Uh, I'm not going to go out and say Herndon is, you know, on the bubble to make the roster or anything like that, but I'm not going to be surprised if Tyler Croft is like the day one starter for the first few weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, pretty alarmed when I had read that uh, tweet the other day about him being with the twos and, you know, at first it's alarming and then it's kind of like, okay, it's mini camp and, new system, new coaches, so everybody's going to get a turn to to run with the ones and things like that. So, you know, is this something that, you know, we should really be getting crazed about? Probably not, but it is an interesting thing to see with, you know, some of the inconsistency that we've seen with Herndon throughout his career with the Jets. Um, I, I recall, you know, going to a game, I think it was one of the season openers um, his rookie year and uh, he made a bonehead play where um, I think we were going to score right at the end of the first half and he just didn't have his awareness and he was a yard away from the end zone and he just kind of tucked his shoulder and fell and all he had to do was just stretch his arm out and I remember somebody I went to the game with was like whoever that 89 guy is he could go um and then, you know, eight months, eight weeks later, we're sitting there saying, wow, this guy 89, we really got ourselves a tight end now. So it's funny how, you know, there's always like two sides to the story with Herndon where sometimes it's a little slow and it's not so pretty. And then there's other times when he gets his opportunities, he can really, really show that he's more than just, you know, a blocking tight end. Uh, so hopefully going into this, is this his final year for his rookie deal? Um, yeah, this I is think last it year. is, right? Yep. Yeah, it should be, yeah. yeah so this mm-hmm. is his last year. So, you know, it's either put up or, you know, uh, put out. And um, hopefully he's not going to be on the out. Um, you know, number one, usually players that are on a contract year usually, you know, kick it up a notch. And, and you know, that's what I'm kind of hoping and anticipating from him. Um, we have seen flashes of greatness from him. And then, you know, we've seen some times to where, you know, he just disappears. Um, you know, five games last year, he didn't record a statistic. Um, and Glenn, just like you said, that probably has a lot to do with, you know, the Adam Gase scheme, which was horrible. And then the fact that Sam Darnold was not the guy that we anticipated him to be. And 
we'll never really know if, if Sam would have been better with a better OC and a better system um, or just possibly, you know, Sam had too many, um, too many things that he had to correct with his game. And then, you know, kind of putting him in the microwave and, you know, doing the quick minute and throwing him into the starters role didn't really give him a chance to develop the right way either. So a lot of factors there that may, Chris Herndon may have not been able to control. Um, you know, you're not going to show that you're a good pass catching tight end if you're not getting targeted often. Um, and if you're not being schemed and getting the ball thrown your way on a consistent basis, or if you're not getting red zone opportunities, how can you really show what you can do? So, you know, this is a new year. Um, this is going to be an opportunity for him to, uh, you know, rewrite the narrative on, you know, for those that may have, you know, said, uh, you know, it's time for him to go. <clears throat> I remember when we were talking about the rumor with Jonu Smith and I was, you know, pretty intrigued. And I said, you know, this would be an upgrade for us. Um, but then that leads us to the, the conversation of, you know, do we continue to, you know, hope that this guy can do it or do we, you know, have to cut ties and, and maybe start anew with the position. So, um, uh, I'm intrigued, and I, I definitely hope that LaFleur has a, a game plan for him because I think, you know, from an athletic standpoint, I think that he's probably the best athlete of all the tight ends that we have. Croft clearly is the best blocker. Um, he's going to be the guy that we want to see, you know, in line. Um, maybe Herndon will, you know, be better in a uh, in an H-back kind of, you know, position for this team. Who knows? Um, where you can kind of move him around and get him in motion so that he can get a nice clean block for, for our running backs. Um, a lot of options that can happen here with this group that we have. So uh, maybe this is just everybody getting their opportunities in minicamp to, to get their cracks with the starting lineup, and this is not something that we need to be alarmed about. But if it continues into training camp and, and we continue to hear the, the guys from the beat saying how he's only exclusively lo- working with the twos, um, you know, that, that would definitely be something uh, that would be a little shocking and alarming for me. Um, I hope he sticks. I hope that, you know, like I said, this is just everybody getting their opportunities and, and this will be behind them. And, and we'll be talking about how great it is that LaFleur, you know, reignited the flame and Chris Herndon, and maybe he'll continue to be somebody that we can talk about, you know, with Zach Wilson's career. All right. And one more thing I want to touch on guys, before we wrap up, uh, we don't have to go too long, but, I was looking at the, uh, you know, we see this, uh, all this, 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 this uh, frenzy over Dan Feeney and everyone losing their minds because he drinks <laughs> beer at hockey games, which apparently people are had no idea this type of thing goes on, and all of a sudden he's everyone's favorite human. Um, I don't have a problem with the guy, but um, I wasn't thrilled with the signing. I uh, went back and watched a couple of his games, and I thought he looked he looked bad a lot more off, far more often than he looked good. Uh, but you know what? Some, this is the thing. Um, you know, sometimes you, you you go back and you watch a few games, and maybe the guy literally just maybe you just pick games where he didn't play well. Um, I'm not going to watch you know uh, 32 Dan Feeney games to get a feel for him. I'll watch three or four games, and and go off of that. And he uh, he didn't look all that impressive, so I just kind of I wrote him off. I mean, he looked bad enough that I thought this guy is absolutely a depth player. No way he's starting. Um, but the more I think about it, and looking at uh, looking at what they paid him, I mean, they're paying him more than Greg Van Roten, who is the presumed starter. So it's kind of silly on my part. You know, that's my bad for writing the guy off. 
and what the team views him as. And did I? And I honestly can't remember, guys, what you what your takes were at the time. Um, I don't know if you agreed or were on the fence, but I'm I'm starting to think this guy's got a better shot to start than I initially believed. Um, unless, unless every now and then you see a quality guy or a guy who teams think could be a quality backup, and they'll say, "Look, we're going to pay you like a starter because we want to have a guy who can play." I think I think Feeney can play a little bit of center, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, but if they're saying, look, we want a guy who can give us not so much elite production, obviously, but someone who can be a decent starter in a pinch, who can play either interior spot or center, um, and maybe that's what it is. That's that's kind of how I viewed it. But the more I think about it, this guy has the experience. He could come in if he plays well enough and beat out Van Roten. Was, was I, for those of us, myself included, who wrote Feeney off early on as, as no way he starts, was that a little bit early, and do you guys think there's a chance he's uh, the starting right guard when the season kicks off? Uh, sorry, you uh, take that first here? sorry, my my fault, Dylan. We're kind of I'm trying to alternate you guys here, so yeah, Dylan, I'll, go ahead and kick I'll this go off. For it, All good. Yeah. <laughs> so when the signing first happened, I I had a very very similar um, thought process as you. I said, oh okay, you know they just have depth. Originally, my first thought was, well, I don't think this bodes well for um, Cam Clark, who we've always said on this podcast, we can't wait to see finally get on the field. So I thought initially, yeah, it was bad for Cam Clark or Alex Lewis. I didn't necessarily think that he'd have a chance to start. And I don't know if Joe Douglas is going to, you know, take um, fan favorite into consideration when he's choosing his top five to protect his rookie quarterback. But you do look at the stats of Dan Feeney and he has played a hundred percent of snaps since 2018 Oh, no, excuse me. He played 98% of snaps in 2019. So basically 100% snaps the last three seasons. It's over 3,200 snaps. And he had two penalties all last year. No holdings, no false starts. So I don't know where those other two penalties came from, maybe unnecessary roughness or what have you, but he didn't commit too many penalties last year. Now, you go back to 2019, and he had three holdings and four false starts for seven total penalties. So it's like, okay, yeah. You don't really like seven, but he brought it down to two in 2020. So it's not bad. I don't think he should be a starter. And I think he could be like, we've said the last three segments, quality backup. I think he could be the swing interior offensive lineman. If Cam Clark isn't good enough to go be the second, you know, left guard or second right guard. So I think, you know, he has a chance to, to be the next man up, but I'm not ready to say that, uh, he has a chance to take over the spot for somebody who did it and did it pretty well in Greg Van Roten last year. And also, if you just look at the preseason, he's going to have to go up against a pretty good test week one, regardless if he's put out there with the starters or the twos. I think the Giants' defensive line is pretty strong, at least at the starting standpoint with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. So it's going to be a true test for this offense, offensive line right out the gates. And uh, if he holds his own, who knows? Maybe by week two or three, he'll get more reps with the ones and he could take over a spot. But Right now, I have to say no. Yeah, um, it, it, it is pretty interesting how uh, when he when he first got signed, you know, Glenn, I think there was uh, plenty of people that were sitting there saying, you know, Joe Douglas is supposed to be this offensive line guru, and he just signed, according to PFF, the worst center in football from 2020. Um, you know, I think 
I, I, I don't know the Chargers scenario here, but I assume that maybe some sort of injury had happened that forced him into the starting lineup. I'll have to go fact check that one. But, uh, you know, I do remember some plays where, you know, Henry Anderson was getting the better of him playing um, nose tackle, which is where, where he was out of position because he was more of a defensive end. So the fact that Henry Anderson was, was beating his drum, um, that may may speak volumes apparently. So, but, you know, it's interesting how a narrative can be changed when a guy, you know, chugs a beer and smashes it over his head at a couple of hockey games, and then all of a sudden there's T-shirts being made, and Lord help us if there's going to be fans out there rocking the Feeny mullet. Um, I don't know if I'm ready for that one. But, uh, hey, if he's a rah-rah guy and he's somebody that can keep spirits high in the locker room and maybe in a pinch he could step in and fill in and do a decent job here, I'm all for it. Um, but I do feel that that may not be putting our best foot forward. He might be the shocker of, of this year um, to crack a starting job um, with this front five. I think you guys have it, you know, uh, put down right where, you know, Greg Van Roten, it's his job to lose um, at this point. And, you know, he had a rocky start last year, but he played pretty, pretty well, I think, once he started to gel with the guys around him. Um, you know, and, and you want to keep a little bit of continuity with this team rather than continuously remixing, you know, particular groups. And offensive line is probably one of the most important groups that have to come together and figure it all out. Um, otherwise, your quarterback's going to be um, under duress constantly. So bringing back McGovern, GVR, and Fant um, from the center to the right side um, at least they'll have some history. They'll, they've played together and, and, you know, they should have a little familiarity with, you know, where they're supposed to be and, and getting their sets and getting their cadence down, you know, all those good things. So um, I'm not sure if remixing, you know, that position is the best thing to do. If Douglas and LaFleur feel that Feeney gives us the best chance and he's going to be part of the best front five, let's go game on. Um, but at this point, uh, you know, just don't don't be a knucklehead uh, and, and make a, a laughing stock, you know. But right now, we're still in that honeymoon stage from, from the draft and um, all positive vibes coming from the Jets locker room. And, you know, it is funny and you get a good laugh out of it when you see those guys celebrating. And, and it's good to see that these guys are actually, you know, having fun because there is just more to just grinding it out, you know, 24-7. So I'm glad that these guys are developing chemistry way early in the process some things that they were not permitted to do last year with the pandemic. Nice to see that, you know, the guys are actually physically together and, and building those relationships very early on. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, just to add to that, I'm a moron. I completely forgot. I think it's because I watched a couple of his games at left guard. Um, I said, you know, does he play center? Of course he played all year last year at center. So uh, he does play a couple of spots on the interior. I don't see why if he can play left guard and center, he can't get a look at right guard, but that's, you know, again, increasingly I'm thinking, you know, they wanted a, a backup with starter experience um, based on the way he played last year. He wasn't going you know, I'm sure Dan Feeney didn't have a bunch of teams knocking down his door. So hopefully that is the role he fills. I'm, I'm having gone back and watched more of Van Roten from last year. I'm a lot more comfortable with the idea of him starting at right guard again than I was in the off, you know, early in the off season. Um, so, you know, this O-line, you know, we'll talk about it more as the offseason goes on, uh, has a, the opportunity to be vastly, vastly improved. And hopefully, you know, with, with AVT and, and an improved Van Roten, maybe that means McGovern gets his stuff together in the middle where he struggled this year. 
But that'll wrap it up for us this week, folks. We went a little bit long. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Dylan, Alex, um, we'll, we'll talk through about what next week's plan is. Like I said, I already know I can't make it. Um, have a few things going on, so I will be MIA next week. Uh, but thanks a lot for tuning in, everybody, and uh, check us out next week, hopefully all three of us, but uh, it might be just uh, Dylan and Alex. Have a great night, folks. Go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.